Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the transfer flop to my bargain. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, our top 20 championship players went down well, didn't it? (laughs) It did. It did. I think this is the key thing is that every single top 20 list from every single person in this country will be different. Um, Ours was different. Ours was very different. Mm. So why, why are we getting angry, guys? What's... What's the point in getting so vexed over over a top 20 list? Chill, listen, disagree, agree, do what you want, but don't get angry. Yeah, I posted it and I thought, okay, this will probably do quite well on Twitter. This will get a bit of interaction. Last time I checked, it had something like 5 million views, mm-hmm. which is bonkers for a graphic which I made in my dressing gown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I, find, I always find it funny how people get so vexed over the opinions of others. But I don't. I haven't seen anyone really present like a solid no. argument for anyone else being in there who we didn't include. No, and I think the key point is, and we've made this clear on the podcast. We've made this clear in the clips. Any replies that I've, I've come up with to, to, to people have made it very clear. This isn't an individual base list. This isn't the most talented player in the championship ever list. Otherwise, we'd have Harry Kane in there. People have mentioned Robert Prozanecki, which is absolutely true. If we're Gareth making a Bale. top 20... Gareth Bale, yeah. If we were making a top 20 talented players to play in the championship list, those players would have been there. These are players to have played in the championship and to have made an impact in the championship. It is so plain and clear with the list that we've made and everything that we've done. So again, the, the the comments I've seen loads of comments from other other content creators and and even I mean we even had the Watford account club account getting <laughs> responding as well, which was which was good fun. But um, yeah, just let's just let's just chill, take it in. If you've got a different top twenty, put it out there. It, otherwise, don't respond with with hate. Be nice, or, or don't be nice. Just respond with your top twenty. Now keep responding because it's great interactions for well, us yeah, and that just boosts up our Twitter account even more. But at the end of the day, if you've got your own opinion, that's fine. If we've got our own opinion, that's fine as well. It's just a, it's just a game of opinions, isn't it? Football is a game of opinions. And as you say, everyone will get, have a completely different top 20. So who really cares at the end of the day? Speaking of which, we're doing another top 10 today. Um <laughs> 
So let's see how well this one goes down. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yesterday, we're ranking the 10 worst signings in championship history. Last week, we talked about the best players the championship has ever seen. So it's only right we even it out by talking about some utter shite. And Justin, it's fair to say there have been some awful transfers over the years in the championship, haven't there? Yeah, yeah, and I think as well, mainly over the last maybe eight years, um, where we've had a lot of clubs be desperate in their attempts to get promoted to the Premier League, spending money on players who the fees that have been touted should be going nowhere near the levels they were um, to buy those players. Yes, we've had some we've had some dross pass through the ranks. And don't get me wrong, some good players have been bought for fees, but those players have failed to have an impact that has justified those fees, which ultimately makes up makes up the list so yeah it's going to be interesting going into these and again if anyone's got any top tens themselves or any alternative list of, of bad business put it out there let's let's abuse you for a change no nice. no, no. <laughs> let's not abuse them let's just welcome their opinion because we're always interested to hear what the listener has to say as well what alternative suggestions they've got um it's interesting what you say actually because all of these i think all of the transfers we've included here are from the past eight years and it just goes to show like how there was that boom period from the late 2010s where championship clubs just went mad and were just throwing money at everything and thought, well, this isn't going to come back to bite us on the arse. Eh. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. And the thing is, there are so many abysmal transfers which we could have included on this list, but they just ended up getting bumped off it by an even more abhorrent transfer. Yeah, there's a, there a couple that you mentioned that I completely forgot about. And I was like, yeah, they've got to be in there. It is. It has been a, a, a wild few years to be really blunt about it and again I wouldn't want to point the finger at the EFL but the EFL the spending of these football clubs should have raised raised some alarm bells into some clubs actually being able to afford these players over years and obviously we've seen some of those clubs actually suffer a long time after signing these players so yeah this is this is going to be an intriguing intriguing debate I will point out I've based mine off the cost of the player the return cost of the player and their output which is very easy three variables to, to to judge them on yeah well i'm the same and I, I don't think you can really base this list off anything else really mm. could you a, a quick bit of admin justin and i made this list the same way we make all our lists we make two separate lists and then merge them together to be on to be included on this list you must have been joining a club who are playing in the championship or about to be playing in the championship when they signed so not a club who's just one promotion and then signed someone and they didn't do very well in the Premier League, for example. And the fees we're basing these transfers on are what has been reported by the media. Quite difficult to know for sure how accurate the fees are when every club never discloses the actual figure, but these are what's been reported. So we're going off that. So without further ado, Justin, who have we got number 10 in our list of the worst signings in championship history? We've got Jordan Rhodes for Sheffield Wednesday. Which is, again, one of those players who we included in our top 20. All How time. much was it, Justin? Greatest. You've got to include it that, was, of course. Yeah, no, I just wanted to get in there. It was £8 million, or reported to be £8 million. Could have rose to more. Um, but still, a significant fee for a championship club, especially a championship club who aren't benefiting from benefiting or weren't benefiting from parachute payments at the time. But 17 goals in 95 games is not the return you want from a player who costs you in and around £8 million. 
at the point of his signature uh, as well, Jordan Rhodes was was 27. He was in the peak of his powers, but this really was the start of a, a downward trend for for Rhodes, and he never really recovered from 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 his spell at Hillsborough. Didn't get going at all. Obviously, he went to he went to Borough from from uh, from Blackburn. Did relatively well. Didn't play for six months in the Premier League or made a handful of appearances. Went on loan to Wednesday, helped them finish fourth, scored three goals, uh, I think, got into the playoffs, and then the move was made permanent in that summer. And then really that's where Wednesday's descent into from, from promotion challenges to, to relegation battlers really started to begin. But seven goals in 35 games a season after, again, it's not a good return from a player who cost you a, a pretty, pretty penny. Uh, and again, to, to not receive any money, at the end of at the end of Rhodes' contract again is, is is a big is a big no. So yeah, Jordan Rhodes is in at tenth, costing eight million pounds. Yeah, this transfer is arguably the turning point in Jordan Rhodes' career, isn't it? Before this he scored one hundred and sixty five goals in three hundred and twenty five appearances over seven seasons. Around a goal every two games, which over seven seasons is just bonkers numbers, isn't it? He managed at least 16 goals a season for seven consecutive campaigns. And then since this move, his highest goal tally in a season is seven. <laughs> I mean, this transfer took one of the best goal scorers the championship has ever seen and his career never recovered. And his legacy has taken a battering since as well. It really is the standout move when it comes to Sheffield Wednesday's misspending in the late 2010s mm-hmm. of the Chancery, isn't it? This was the key factor that led to their relegation, the insane spending that they were doing around this time. And the crazy thing is, they signed him for that much money, despite him not fitting into Carlos Carvajal's style. Then the managers which followed, like Jocelyn Hukai, Gary Monk, Tony Pulis, none of them seemed to be a fan either. I think that's purely because... As great a goal scorer as he once was, he never offered much else to a team other than goals, did he? At one point, that would have been fine, maybe like in the 70s or 80s. But in modern day football, you need much more to your game than just that. Now, you could argue that his move to Middlesbrough was the turning point and that was a poorer move. But they got promoted after signing him and made most of their money back after selling him. Mm. Wednesday paid £8 and then he left on a free. And when he did leave... I don't think anyone cared. I think it was more just relief to get him off the wage bill, wasn't it? Yeah, there was some return the season they they were relegated. He did score a handful of goals, which is impressive, but again, did not get to double figures. Um, and it's worth pointing out as well, he was loaned out to Norwich during the 18-19 season, helped them to promotion, scored some important goals during that promotion run, but was still very much a... Uh, yeah, he played second fiddle to Timu Puki. Um so there, there, there's that. But you are right. He was. It felt like a signing because it had to be. He had to be signed by a club chasing promotion. Um, you know, there was a player available who's got this incredible record. Let's throw money at him without actually considering what he brought to the team. And as you say, he didn't really fit into Carlos Carvajal's plans and didn't really convince any of the managers after that that he was the the right man either so yeah disappointing for Rhodes and as you say in terms of his legacy in the championship not tarnished it but certainly left it left it has tarnished it really hasn't it well considering that I didn't want him in my all-time top 20 list mainly because of his last six years then yeah, you you could probably say it's tarnished, but if I was to be definitely a little bit more tarnished. diplomatic, <laughs> if I was to be a little bit more diplomatic, definitely bruised and battered and not in the best state. 
Wednesday essentially paid £400,000 for each of his goals, which I think says a lot about how much of a misspend this one was, but it's only the start for us when it comes to this list. Justin, who have we got in number nine? We've got Yannick Wildschut, score, uh, well, costing £7 million, initial fee of £4 million, going up to £7 million with add-ons. But my God, in terms of value when he money Norwich. signing, you, you, when he joined Norwich, when he joined I should Norwich. say, in terms of value for money signing, this was this was terrible. This was really bad. And again, it was a it was a a deadline day move in twenty seventeen. And interestingly, he's still only thirty one, so his his career or his quality, the quality of player he is probably didn't justify the fee that Norwich paid. Um, he should still be playing at a high level, considering that they paid a lot of money for him. Um, but this was one of the ones that I completely forgot about. And it's the one, I think Derby were in for him as well. So it's one that I know pretty well. Norwich beat into a signature and quite happy that was the case because Derby dodged a bullet in that case. Um, but for me, yeah, the Norwich were at that point faltering under Alex Neil. So it was spending like this that actually sparked the revolution under Stuart Webber. It sparked the, the change in direction for Norwich. So... In that sense, it was a positive. If you don't want to spin it into a positive, but again, four million pounds for a player who had a good six months at Wigan really shouldn't be the type of signing that that teams teams chasing promotion should be making. Um, scored as many goals for Bolton in a loan spell from Norwich as he did for Norwich, but two goals in twenty nine games, then re- then being released is is simply staggering and more than justifies his place in this list because I still can't nail down exactly what kind of player he is. Can't I can't actually remember him playing very often either to, to, mm. to fully understand just how good he was either. So, yeah, weird signing. Really weird signing. Yeah, I imagine there is a lot of people out there who don't even remember who Yannick Vilschut is. He joined after, basically, as you say, a good six months at Wigan. That's all it was really, just good. And Norwich clearly saw something in him, signed him with a view of getting into the playoffs. Two months after signing him, though, Alex Neal was sacked. Then Daniel Farker came in soon after. Stuart Webber came in upstairs. The club wanted to go in a different way with its approach, which meant the money they spent on Vildschut was completely pointless. Managing two goals and two assists before being sent out on loan to Bolton and Cardiff. Then got released after just two and a half years at Car Road, as since had spells in Israel, Bulgaria. He's now at Oxford, where he's not even a regular there, despite only being 31, as you say, Justin. To be fair... The actual fee was more like four million because it was four million rising to seven million with add-ons. But because he only got two goals and two assists, those add-ons were clearly never met. But still, a move which was a big waste of time and money for everyone involved. And I just don't really know what Norwich ever really saw in him. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? What what did Norwich see in him? I, th- I think it was the case of Derby or after him as well. And. Uh, what was it, the 17-18 season? So Derby would have been going for promotion under Gary Rowett. So there's that there's that element of competing to get to a signature, isn't it? Um, or maybe in the 16-17 season, actually. But nonetheless, yeah, not really, not really sure what any of those teams saw in him. And as I've pointed out, Derby dodged a bullet. Norwich didn't. They, they inherited it. They kept it for two and a half years and got rid of it as soon as they could. So yeah, it was a, it was a closing of that chapter under... Alex Neal and, and opening of the chapter under Stuart Webber. So as I say, if you want to spin it into a positive, then it did spark a, a massive change in direction for Norwich, which put them on the path that they're currently on now, which arguably is closed again and opened up another chapter. So yeah, strange few years for Norwich and some bad spending in 
learn the lessons from it. Yeah, they well they did it. They did quite a few bad. Actually, I mean their recruitment's always been a bit hit and miss for for many years now, hasn't it? And that's definitely the biggest miss um, that they've had while they've been in the championship. Number eight is Martin Braithwaite to Middlesbrough for nine million pounds. Now let me take you back to 2017. Martin Braithwaite had been playing for Toulouse in League One and was really their star player. He had just managed to score double figures in back-to-back seasons. Very good for a forward in a fairly bang average side in a top five European league. So it seemed like an incredible move for Middlesbrough when they managed to sign him in the championship. They were having a real go at promotion that summer, spent near to 50 million. It says a lot about how it went though, that they spent most of the season outside the top six before eventually sneaking fifth place right at the end. As for our mate Martin, he scored five goals that season. The next season, he scored three goals before being sent out on loan to Leganes. He then went on to do an interview with the Danish press where he said he won't be going back to Middlesbrough because of Tony Pulis and called his tactics strange. The team plays defensively with long balls, he said. It's really kick and rush. It doesn't look so good to me. So Pulis responded by calling the comments astonishing and he said, I've dealt with players all my life. Some can make your hair curl. But for him to come out and say that just puts him up there as such an ungrateful person. Overall, he made 40 appearances for Borough, so he essentially cost £225,000 per appearance. But that is before you even get onto his wages. Pulis said he is the highest paid player he's ever worked with in the Championship and will have actually been in the top five earners when he was managing West Brom in the Premier League. So who knows how much the move would have actually cost Middlesbrough in total. And they actually ended up selling him for less than half of what they paid when he went to Leganes permanently. But overall, this was an absolute farce. Yeah, it was. It was really bad. And he's had such a nomadic career after, hasn't he? It's been such a strange few years following Martin Braithwaite. And there's always a Borough account tweeting on... on um, putting out a tweet on Twitter telling us what what he's doing and where he is now and it's always like oh god he's, he's there now incredible um but yeah the, it was a bit of a strange one because again he came with a decent pedigree as you say he scored a decent number of goals for Toulouse and Ligue 1 um and to his credit he scored five in 19 under Gary Rowett but then obviously things started to unravel once Tony Pulis Gary came Monk. in and Gary Rowett yep Gary Monk you're right the Gary's so smart jumpers um but yeah things started to unravel under Tony Pulis very very quickly and, I mean, maybe you can argue that Tony Pulis did a fair bit of damage that um, fair, fair, a fair bit of damage in terms of selling players from that initial summer spend of Cyrus Christie going that January as well. But nonetheless, yeah, it was, it was a strange one. But yeah, scoring eight and thirty six in total for for Borough with that nine million pound total outlay. Some of those players during that summer spending spree did contribute. You look at Johnny Housen, for example, incredible innings for Middlesbrough. Ashley Fletcher, to some extent, could have been on this list, but he also had that season, I think it was Jonathan Woodgate, where he scored a decent amount of goals as well. Darren Randolph, I would argue that Sambalonga did well in terms of goals or, or okay in terms of goals. So, they, again, it's a, it's a debatable one, but one that's worth it. Um, but as I say, yeah, this is such a strange signing. And again, he's been a Denmark regular as well. So there's still a quality player there, but in terms of just putting money on him, no idea why Middlesbrough signed it off. It was, it was a crazy, crazy transfer. And I mean, in terms of anyone on this list, we can talk about 
salaries and wages, but it's, it's quite hard to nail down exactly what players are earning unless we go right into spreadsheets in, in annual accounts. But you can you can sort of, you can be very confident in saying Brayfay was very expensive for Middlesbrough and it cost them a lot and it took them a long time to recover from that that terrible, terrible summer of spending. Yeah. And we talk about worst transfer windows in the history of the championship. That has got to be one of them. There were some good ones, as you say, who have ended up proving quite good, but at the time they struggled as well. And then the likes of Braithwaite, Osama Longa, did all right at Middlesbrough, but he did cost 15 million quid. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of money was spent by Borough and the fact that they just sneaked fifth place, I think, says a lot, doesn't it? The interesting thing about Braithwaite is, obviously, he's gone to Barcelona since then and is having a kind of a revival of his career over in La Liga. But he's a very rich man off the pitch. He, When he was at Barcelona, he was reported to be the richest player at the club because of investments he made off the pitch. And one included an investment <laughs> in a real estate business called NYCE, um, who... I'm just trying to work out as I'm talking, but they're worth something like 252 million. So because he invested quite early on in them, he's managed to get quite a bit of money out of that. So does he need the Middlesbrough money? I was going to say, can he repay repay Middlesbrough back just yeah. a little bit for the uh, for the uh, inconvenience? Hey, Steve, just transferring you 100 million. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that, lad. Um, let's move on, Justin. Who have we got number seven? We've got Scott Hogan who went to Aston Villa for nine million pounds, and you had some you had some women in Aring over this one, mainly because I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure why because he yeah. didn't play well, that much for Aston Villa. I'll tell you why, Justin. He when I was writing because we had him quite high in the list initially, didn't he? But when yeah. we were writing it up, I was like, it doesn't seem as bad as some of the others. Of course, as we'll get onto, it was a disaster, but. Didn't seem as bad as some of the others. Plus, I mean, Aston Villa was still spending money and it didn't really affect them too much. True, true. Uh, I mean, you say it didn't really affect them too much, but obviously the 2018-19 playoff final was the forecasting of a disaster for one of Derby or Aston Villa, should they not get promoted. Yeah, yeah. In terms, maybe, of, maybe if, in terms of those allies. Maybe if Derby won that playoff final, we'd be looking at this list a bit differently and Scott Hogan would be a bit higher, but... It, they didn't at the end of the day. True. Oh, they didn't. But we could have also been talking about West Midlands, West Midlands Burgundy or West Midlands Claret as a rebranded club, for example. Right, because... okay. <laughs> Giving them a Pez name. <laughs> Pez name, yeah. Um, but I, I sit on the fence, side of the fence that I thought this was a, this was a bad signing. Oh, just, just Main... a, I'm, not, I'm not defending the transfer. No, no, it was shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrible. It was terrible, but I, I, I'm, I'm very sort of vehemently. This was a disaster, mainly because I remember going back to that signing and quite a lot. I mean, he he came into the the, the January transfer window having scored 14 and 25 for Brentford. Brentford fans weren't particularly bothered that he was leaving Brentford. It, I, I found that astounding at the time, but digging a little bit deeper. He was a little bit one-dimensional. Obviously, the Scott Hogan we know now, he's, he's very much a penalty box striker, relies on confidence heavily. I know a lot of strikers do, but when he's not in form, he's not in form. Um, but when he's in form, he, he's okay, he's, he's decent. But when he's not, he's bad. And that one-dimensional aspect of him just makes you think, why would Villa so determined to get him into the club? And again, 
just talking about Middlesbrough in terms of really bad transfer windows, that transfer window in terms of outlay for Aston Villa was a disaster for them and could have crippled the club to the extent that pushed them into the abyss, which is a terrifying thought. But considering that he scored nine in 41 in total for Aston Villa and actually did better out on loan at the likes of Stoke and Birmingham. And there's another one in there as well. I can't quite remember what it is, uh, who Wednesday. it was for. It's Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Did you say yeah, Stoke as Wilder. well? He, he had a yeah, few Stoke. loan spells, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he had three loan spells, but he scored more goals in those loan spells than he did for Aston Villa, which, come on now, he's bonkers. And again, we talk about salaries, it was quite significant as well. So this was, this was a bad signing, and he went to Villa off the back of a couple of seasons of recovering from serious knee injuries as well. So again, to spend this much money on a player who's one-dimensional, has only had a really good six months at championship level, and has had several serious knee injuries was just crazy. It's just a crazy, crazy thought. Yeah. Well, for me, Scott Hogan's a good striker at championship level. That's all I think he ever has been, just good. Nothing more, nothing less. But luckily for him, he had a green patch over half a season at Brentford, which was enough to earn him a big money move to Villa. And to say they overspent, based off very little evidence, is being polite, isn't it? Um, He cost £1.3 million per goal, which uh, I think... Pretty much says it all, really, doesn't he? Two seasons there, just never looked like working. He was brought in to be Villa's goal scorer. They never really found that goal scorer until Tammy Abraham came in on loan, did they? And despite Villa not really having a first-choice striker around this period, they spent all this money on Scott Hogan and he spent a lot of time on the bench, which, I mean, Villa were going crazy at the time with the amount of money that they were spending and this was one of the highlights and there may be more to come in this list. Uh, number six, Justin, we have Bedekafobi going to Stoke for £12 million. Now, I feel bad for having Bedekafobi on this list because I've always liked him as a player. He seems like a really nice guy. Unfortunately, this move was a complete and utter disaster. It's in the top 10 most expensive signings in championship history, and it's also on this list. It's a bit of a strange scenario anyway to begin with, because you may remember he signed for Wolves in the summer of 2018, only to be let go days later because they wanted to make a profit on him. So they signed him for 10 million so they could sell him for 12 million to Stoke, making 2 million. And this transfer just so happened to be during that summer transfer window by Stoke where everything they touched went to shit. They spent 44 million, finished 16th and the club has been crippled ever since by this window in which unfortunately for him Benekophobi was the most expensive of the lot so he is the main highlight of why this window was so bad. 46 league games, eight goals, one and a half million pounds per goal. He was then let go on a free after a few years. All makes sense, really, why Stoke have struggled financially ever since. Well, you say struggled financially. They're a very, very wealthy club, but it's the battle with the profit and sustainability, which actually you should factor in with a lot of these transfers because if a player goes on a free transfer, it marks them down heavily in terms of losses against profit and sustainability. So even if you've got the richest owner in the world in a championship uh, or owning a championship club, if you sign a player for 12 million and then they're released a few years later for free, it can cripple your football club. And this has been this this has been the issue with Stoke, Middlesbrough, Sheffield Wednesday, despite having very wealthy owners. And obviously the Benicophobe signing, the hangover that transfer window had on the football club ever since in terms of trying to offload those heavy, um, those high earners, 
it's, it's been a constant battle for the likes of Michael O'Neill and now Alex Neil. But Benny Kofobo, as you quite rightly say, I would not have a bad word said about Benny Kofobo. I love him. I I think I, st- I still want him to do well in the Championship despite despite leaving last season. And in terms of goal scorers at Championship level, Benny Kofobo was looking like could he could have been one of the best because his spell at Wolves was incredible. But I think his spell at Bournemouth just crippled his confidence. And then going to Stoke in this hotbed environment just wasn't ideal. And as well as that, you'd argue that his best time at Stoke came away from the club. His loan spells at Millwall and Bristol City, and obviously the one at Bristol City before his knee injury, that's where we started to see the best of Ben Kofobe. And then obviously going to Millwall permanently didn't quite work out in the end. But still, we saw the best of Ben Kofobe when he wasn't at Stoke, which again is quite telling that. And it's not really a good return of investment either. So Ben Kofobe, it was a, it was a, he's a good player, but he was a, he was a bad, bad signing. And as you say, in terms of outlay, it um, it really did hold Stoke back for a long, long time. Yeah, you look at the signings they made in that window, the likes of Benekofobi, Tom Ince, Ryan Woods, Danny Batts, Sam Klukas, James McLean, Sam Vokes. I think Sam Vokes was in the January, actually, but you see my point. Uh, I think Danny Batt was as well, actually. But a lot of championship experience there, and there wasn't really a, any reason why they should do as badly as they did, mm-hmm. but they did. And maybe it had something to do with the fact that you had a lot of players here who had already played in the Premier League. Yeah. They possibly weren't as determined to get into the Premier League as another side would. Big earners. Big earners. Just a lot of in... It's, it's, I've never really heard a solid reason as to why that season went as badly as it did. Well, I think Gary Rowett's perplexed as well because I think he left when they were around ninth. So it's, it's, a, it's always a case of, well, maybe they could have got promoted had he stayed. But again, those players you reeled off there, Tom Ince, Sam Klukas, um, Danny Bart, Benny Kofobe, how many of those players got released as well quite recently? So they, they've lost a lot of, they lost so much money. But in terms of reasoning why as to why it didn't work out that season, you are right. They've never really had a solid reason. I think that's more of a, an issue with the club as well in terms of being completely transparent over the last few years. Our relationship with the fans has seemed to just dampen down. And again, it's 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 decision-making like this that unfortunately has led to that sort of apathy because as I say, the, the club has spent highly. It's not worked. They've tried to be more pragmatic in recent recent years. It still hasn't worked. So what's been the issue? We, we don't know, but it's decision-making like this has ultimately just put a leash on Stoke and they've not been able to hit their potential ever since. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll go through our top five worst signings in Championship history. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. This is our top 10 worst signings in championship history. We've just done 10 to 6. Now it's our top 5. And in number 5, we have Isaac Mbenza going to Huddersfield for 11 and a quarter million pounds. Huddersfield signed Mbenza on loan the season before they got relegated from the Premier League. And then it was made permanent after their relegation was confirmed. Now, Initially, I thought it was a deal where they were obliged to sign him permanently, but I don't think it was. I think Huddersfield genuinely sat there and said, we've just been relegated to the championship. 
let's spend 11 million on a guy who got us just one goal and one assist in 22 appearances in the Premier League. This seems like a great idea. I mean, that one goal came in a 1-0 draw against Manchester United. That might literally be the only reason why they signed him based off that one goal, because I'm really struggling to understand why else they would have spent that much money on him. The following season after he joined permanently, he started just one game before being sent on loan to Amiens in France in the January. Came back to Huddersfield the season afterwards and did okay, scoring five goals in 36 games, mainly from free kicks. He was quite good at free kicks, bizarrely. In the summer of 2021, Huddersfield extended his contract by a year, only to terminate it in September. So <laughs> it didn't last that long. Uh, but looking back on his time at the Terriers, Stephen Chicken of the Huddersfield Examiner said of Mbenza, a very expensive mistake whose good games for the club you could count on two hands. And it's a common theme in this episode, Justin, but this is another one where a club has spent recklessly and it's cost them for years to come. This transfer in particular was just... A stupid deal. It's one of those transfers that I think still confuses me to this day in terms of the makeup of it. And you explaining it then actually brought back flashbacks of when we first started the podcast. Because it's obviously when Huddersfield first came down from the Premier League. So it, was, yeah. it would have been the summer that Mbenza signed. And I'm still perplexed to this day, almost four years on, as to what, um, as to how it happened and why it happened and what happened. But in terms of outlay, we're talking about Mbenza. He did actually contribute, which is I think is the big differentiator on this list. And Ben did actually contribute, got five goals and eight assists in that season that you mentioned. But if we're talking about how much spending has is, is, is crippled a football club, there was no legacy to the Premier League spending at Huddersfield at all. The likes of Adama Diakabe, Terence Congolo, Alex Pritchard, they're all signed for big money and left for relatively relative pennies, really, which... Ultimately, it's the reason why the club was in this situation and state it was in, struggling to get by over several, uh, over several years. So several years, it's why Carlos Corbran delivered a miracle in getting them to the playoff final as well. Um, but he, he he showed moments of quality, he had those moments of quality, but didn't see it often enough. And is it enough to justify an eleven million pound figure? It, it isn't. The recruitment at Huddersfield over that two year period in the Premier League was quite frankly astonishingly bad, and probably some of the worst you'll see in the Premier League. And then obviously the hangover to the championship years is, is there because they've had to pick up free transfers and, and borrow players ever since, which is, again, the reason why that is the case is because of this really, really bad decision-making. And again, to have that good, well, relatively good season at Huddersfield, where he contributed, and then to be released in the September shortly after that, after agreeing a new or contract or having a clause activated in that contract, it's so bizarre, but I imagine that's just to get his wages off the books because Huddersfield probably were um, getting to a point where they were, they were quite desperate. So, yeah, it, really, really strange signing, strange justification to signing him and the spend just completely held the club back. Yeah, he's since had spells at Qatar Sports Club and is currently at Charleroi in a, the Belgian league, but he's still only 27, which mm. just seems a bit mad to me in itself, but... Maybe they were looking at it thinking he may be a good player down the line, but considering they terminated his contract yeah. um, shortly after it extended it, I mean, must say a lot about how much they were regretting this deal. And again, wages is another thing where God only knows what his wages were at the time as well. Who have we got number four, Justin? 
We've got Aaron Tisha Bowler going to Aston Villa for £5 million. Now, this is a signing that still confuses me to this day. I still don't know what kind of player he is. I still don't know why Aston Villa signed him. Did he have potential? I don't know. Um, I'm just completely confused by this signing and possibly one of the strangest signings in Championship history. Five million pounds, eight appearances and one goal. Had numerous spells out of Kilmarnock, Forest, Nottingham Forest. It's um, one of the club in there. And that's really it. As part of the spending spree under Dr. Tony Giro in the club at the time, that almost, as we already talked about, nearly bankrupted the club. I just, I'm perplexed at this one. I don't, there's not much about, there's not much about him out there either. I don't get it. He's, he's, he's a bit of a nomad. I, I'm a bit more clueless about this one. It's just got to be in there because eight appearances, five million pounds is just astonishingly terrible, terrible decision making. It really is. And I remember at the time when this deal happened, I wasn't following the championship as closely as I do now, but still quite close. I'm still a very keen follower of the league as a whole. I didn't really know who Tish Bowler was. He'd only just started six games at championship level in his senior career up until the point Villa splashed out the money on him. And he was 21. If he was, I don't know, 18, perhaps, then maybe I could understand it. But for a 21-year-old to have only started six games at championship level just seemed mad. And so Reading must have been rubbing their hands together when this deal came about. He played six games for Villa. Roberto Di Matteo got sacked. Steve Bruce came in and he would only ever play four more times in an Aston Villa shirt. A nice, healthy half a million for each appearance he made in an Aston Villa shirt. Speaking about his time at Villa, he said the previous staff had almost all been sacked. If you're talking about gaining feedback or some type of care, there was none of that in my case. Everyone that brought me in had gone so who do you look to as a young player you think Steve Bruce isn't really approachable and he hadn't really spoken to me I was literally alone and I just tried to work hard in training of course I was upset so you do feel sorry for him really this he was just a young lad at the time and he had a few loan spells after that before being sold in October 2019 three years after signing having not made an appearance since January 2017 since had spells in Belgium, Portugal, Scotland, Turkey. He's currently in Cyprus. Ultimately, Villa wasted their money on a young lad who was completely unproven. Mm, yeah, completely unproven. Obviously, potentially wasted his career as well by making the bad decision, holding him back. Obviously, you point out that there was no no care for the player, and obviously, players don't pick their fees. They don't say they don't choose their fees. It's the clubs that do it. And, I think it's the case of every one of these players that the clubs have vastly overpaid for each one of the players in this list. And Tishpole is one of those. And it's a great shame. And he could have gone on to be a very, very good player, but he's spent just, just, just in, held him back. You say that, I don't think he would have. And it's easy to say that in hindsight. I just don't think he was that good to begin with. And I really don't know what Villa ever saw in him. Well, it was getting games at Reading. He was just coming through. And obviously being at 21 and not Six seeing a race at, at that point. 21 isn't great, is it? No, it isn't. It isn't. But someone said, sign this kid. He's, he's very, very good, didn't they? Unless it was an agent whispering in the ear of, of Dr. Tangier. We, we don't know. But he could have gone on to have a, have a good career, is what I'm trying to say. He's, but unfortunately, he's, he's, he's been held back and, and scarred by this time at Villa, as many players probably did during that time. So... Yeah, just a bizarre signing and one that is hard to hard to really get your head around because none of it makes any sense at all. 
No, really, really doesn't. Speaking of which, number three is João Carvalho going to Nottingham Forest for £13.2 million. Now, this might be a bit of a contentious one because I know Carvalho was well liked by Forest fans or a certain section of Forest fans anyway. An exciting player. The supporters really wanted him to do well, but guys, he cost 13 fucking million. <laughs> now, he had an all right first season at Forest, four goals, eight assists, all right, but he cost 13 million. And second season was just a nightmare. Spent a lot of it on the bench and in 23 appearances managed just a goal and an assist. Zen Sant out on loan to the Spanish second tier. Briefly came back for Forest, but then that was that. Sold to Olympiacos in 2022. Worth remembering that's owned by Marinakis, who also owns Forest. So they may have regained the money they spent somewhat, although it's kind of like Marinakis just putting the money in his own pocket. Uh, Forest fans will tell you, had some bright spells at the city grounds, but he cost 13 million. He's the third most expensive player in championship history and ultimately a colossal flop. Colossal. Colossal flop. Yeah, that is unfortunately the the best way to describe him. He came into the city ground as a really highly rated prospect, but even spending 30 million, £13 million on a, on, on a player like that is it's just bonkers. I think it was 2021 at the time as well. So it was coming into that age bracket that, you know, you start to justify a big fee, but there wasn't anything at Benfica that really screamed, sign yeah. me for £13 million. A bit like Tish Bowler, really, if you consider that. Um, yeah, just, again, it's a strange one, but when you consider the fact that Aita Karenka, Martin O'Neill, Sabri Lamushi, Chris Hutton, or Steve Cooper didn't see anything in him for their teams, just speaks volumes as to what his actual output was. And again, there were, there were moments, there were sparks, but... And you're paying thirteen million pounds for a player. You don't want moments. You don't want sparks. You want game dominating displays. And Shao Carvalho just just wasn't that type of player. Which he may have had the technical ability that justified a thirteen million pound spend. But there's a lot more that comes to a player than technical ability. It's their ability to deal with the pressure. It's the mental side of things as well. Just clearly didn't have it to to, to play. Maybe if it was a lone player with a view to signing, it may have been a different story. But thirteen million pounds, and what he gave Nottingham Forest after that just wasn't wasn't good enough. wasn't there to justify that 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 um, that fee. And I'm sure there are still Forest fans in the ground and understand saying he could have contributed heavily to any of those teams. I just don't think he could have. I just don't think he was that that good. Sure, he may have, could have been a squad player, but thirteen million pound squad players is quite expensive, isn't it? I completely agree, Justin. I'm just not sure he was ever actually that good because when Forrest signed him it only played seven games for the Benfica first team and 15 games for Vittoria so based off that you know 22 games at senior level where the hell have they got 13 million from I just have no idea it's it's a strange one it is a strange one and again it was during that phase where Derby was spending big Reading was spending big uh, Sheffield Wednesday was spending as well and I think it was just a case of just trying to keep up with keep up with them. But ultimately, you're spending that much money on an unknown. It's just um, it's just too big of a risk for me. Um, and and a lot of forest recruitment during that time under Marianakis was was agent led. The recruitment team wasn't there really um, doing doing the business. It was agent led. We saw a lot of players come from the likes of Portugal, uh, Greece as well. So that that played a, that played a heavy part in it as well. But 
30 million pounds is just a bonkers fee to sign a player who was unproven unproven very unproven and you look at him now he's only he's uh, playing on loan at Estoril in the Portuguese first division they've just finished 14th out of 18th and he's managed three goal contributions all <laughs> season so it's not like he's gone on to prove anything since that he is that player I mean he's back in his homelands playing regularly in you know a decent league and he's still not doing anything so exactly. yeah it'll be very interesting to know why they thought this would be a great idea to sign this guy for this much money, but I guess we'll probably never find out. Number two, Kenneth Sahor to West Brom for £8 million. One of the many reasons why West Brom are in such a bad place financially now is because they've wasted a lot of money on players who aren't very good. And the prime example of that is Kenneth Sahor. This is another one where... You've got to question why they even signed him in the first place. He had that one season where he scored 12 goals for Cardiff. The following season, he got nine as Cardiff got promoted. Then he scored once when Cardiff were in the Premier League. Nothing outstanding, but that didn't stop West Brom signing him up. He started five games in three and a half years at West Brom. Scored three goals in total over 19 league appearances. That's an eye-watering 2.7 million per goal. And you think that's bad? Wait for this. When Sheffield Wednesday were interested in signing him a few years ago, reports in Sheffield claimed he was earning 40 grand a week. Now, reports about wages can be a bit speculative, but... It wouldn't be surprising if that figure was true. And keep in mind, he was there for three and a half years. Only had one loan spell in that time. So he was essentially earning two million a year for doing naff all. Now, easy to say in hindsight, I suppose, but didn't understand this move in the first place. It always looked like they'd massively overpaid. I don't really know what they thought they were going to get because, as previously mentioned, his numbers weren't amazing, were they? If they were, you could let them off and say, fair enough, this one just didn't work. This is just embarrassing, though. He finally left West Brom in January after cancelling his contract, went to Odense in Denmark, played 100 minutes before being released. Just an omni-shambles. <laughs> Try not to laugh through that. I, honestly, it's, it's a mix of shock and humour um in, in in such a weird dark way because that sort of spending it genuinely is why West Brom are in the position they are in now what justification was there to sign him you point out his record 12 in 29 9 in 39 then 1 in 20 three consecutive years he scored 22 goals in three years which is just for eight million pounds again if you're signing someone as a squad player you, you want to come in and benefit your, your team his physical size was there Clearly, he's showing that he can score at championship level, but not enough to justify £8 million. I think Matai Vidra cost, for example, Matai Vidra cost Derby £8 million. He won Golden Boot one year. That's the sort of player you want to be signing for £8 million. It is, yeah, a disaster. I actually went into a couple of articles about Zahor because numbers-wise, it's very easy to look at how bad this signing was. Under Ishmael, and he thought Ishmael may have been the ideal manager for Kenneth Zahor, size-wise, physicality, he, he can cope. But um, yeah, apparently he came off the bench against Luton, looked like a, a player who couldn't control it, um, couldn't run, was unfit, 
and then didn't play for another year and was eventually released. It's like inviting uh, a, a ringer who hasn't played football for twelve years to come and fill your Sunday Sunday team, isn't it? That's what it that's what it sounded like. I just don't I don't I don't get it. It was one of those players that I completely forgot about that you brought up, and I was like, oh yeah, this has got to be in there. Eight million pounds again per appearance, cost per appearance, cost per goal. I think the goals he scored were penalties as well. It's worth pointing out. Um, so how much he contributed in open play remains to be seen. Anyway, a lot of West Brom fans probably saying he should be top, and there's maybe argument for him to potentially being top. But we've saved a good one for for top. But this was a bad one. This was bad, really, really bad. Can't it? can't exemplify enough how bad this was this is the definition of bad at championship spending level yeah I mean the wages in itself is just shocking isn't it 40 grand that's 2 million a year when they had him for three and a half years you're getting towards the stage where it's 7 million that he cost in wages for someone who did very little at West Brom didn't he and you do kind of forget that he was there. I mean, he was up and he was there until January, wasn't mm-hmm. he? But at that this point, year. he was just yeah, this year, and it it was just like he was a ghost who haunted the training ground and made West Brom, you know, try to gain peace for the terrible spending that they did. But the thing is, they did get promoted the season that the that he signed, not because of him at all. Um, well, but then since then. The turmoil that's happened ever since where West Brom are now, you know, worrying about their future over the next few years. A large part of that is because of terrible signings that they've made. And Kenza Hall is the top one. You could throw in some others like the likes of Grady D and Garner, for example. But Zahor, for what he's delivered back, is just an embarrassing. They signed Matis Pereira in the same transfer window. <laughs> Yes, yeah, a very hit and miss. Oh, come on, what's what's going on here? <laughs> come on, it's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely bonkers. Really weird, really weird summer for West Brom, that is. Yeah, desperate, desperate signing. Let's get to number one. And I imagine quite a few people have worked it out already. We simply had to put this one at number one. Ross McCormack to Aston Villa for £12 million. To be fair to Villa, there's no reason why this move shouldn't have worked. McCormack had been playing in much poorer teams than at Aston Villa. And his goal-scoring record over many years was second to none at this level, wasn't it? This move genuinely killed his career, though. (laughs) Three Mm -hmm. goals in 20 appearances. He wasn't having a great time. And then it happened. The gate. Gate Gate-gate, if you will. Uh, Ross McCormack didn't turn up for training because he claimed his electric gate wouldn't open at his home in Solihull. Steve Bruce, who was manager at the time, then drove to McCormack's house and inspected the gate. He photographed the wall surrounding the house, which he says was four feet, six inches high. Just have this image of him with a tape measure, measuring how high his wall was. And Bruce was absolutely livid that the player did not simply climb over and order a taxi to training. But that incident, that small incident, basically ended the relationship between the two, which was already tense, by the way, because McCormack had already missed other training sessions that season. Um, McCormack said about the incidents that there's no two ways about it. He hung me out to dry with that. It would have been, I would have been in on time. Everyone at the club knows that the gate problem is real. I never said it was 
I was not coming in. I just said, I'm running a little bit late. Going down that route publicly was probably not helpful. It was personal with Steve Bruce. The thing is, even after Steve Bruce got sacked, McCormack was so out of favour that Dean Smith didn't even try to bring him back into the fold. He signed in the summer of 2016 for £12 million, played his last game in January 2017. He was there for three years in total. So two and a half years where he just didn't feature, apart from a couple of appearances in the Cup, I think. He was reportedly earning 40 grand a week as well. So a nice, healthy 6 million earned in that time. Hilariously, after Villa's promotion, a contract clause meant that his wages would go up to 70 grand. It led to McCormack's agency tweeting, congratulations, Ross McCormack, on promotion to the Premier League. Despite him not playing in over 600 days for Villa up until that point, Villa managed to come to an agreement with him, though, and he was released, so they didn't have to, you know, spend 70 grand a week on his wages. So that's seven. Uh, that's 12 million down the drain, plus the six million pounds he reportedly earned in wages. Now, Justin, hold on to your socks here. If you combine the two, Ross McCormack cost £14,200 for each minute he played in the league for Aston Villa. Did have a few loan spells, which may have eased the burden somewhat with wages, but then you've got bonuses and what have you as well. So possibly was even more than that. Mm -hmm. Overall, it was an easy choice, this, wasn't it? This is, without a doubt, the worst transfer in championship history. And I'm not sure how it could ever be topped <laughs> yeah um i he's he genuinely is one of the best players to have ever played in the championship ross mccormack and you're quite rightly there's nothing in this move that suggested it was a bad a bad move to begin with mainly because of his he's always well, got 40 goals and 80 odd games for fulham for example an incredible two-year spell down in london fantastic but he was 30 at the time and he signed a four-year deal for starters on 40 grand a week you are you are putting your money on that club getting promoted if you're spending that much money on a on a player. Now get don't get me wrong, Ross McCormack on a technical level incredible, but on a physical level, you know, if you're wanting him to play um or be that talisman in, in a team chasing well, being a, well, in the, t- the top two, for example, you 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 probably want to point the finger elsewhere. But as I say, his goal record at this championship level is incredible. And there were there were moments he, he scored. He had that finish against Forest earlier on. That does a death header against Huddersfield as well. And I, I think his poor form for Villa coincided with Villa going through a rough patch as well, which ultimately I think just put him on the put him on the um, the, the the back burner. Essentially, it, it was it was a bad move financially, but a good move for a good player. Um, but ultimately, you judge by decisions, and it was a terrible move. And in terms of Gategate as well, if I'm Ross McCormack. If, you know, if you're looking in hindsight, you're earning forty grand a week, and if Villa get promoted, so you want to get training. If Villa get promoted, you get a you know a big bonus. Just drive through the gate, just Mission Impossible. It just drive through the gate, and then pay for another gate. Simple, right? That, I suppose he's earning enough money that he's exactly. going to pay for a new gate. But still, <laughs> I'm not sure that's the best advice. The thing is. We know what Ross McCormack's like. An unbelievably talented player. Yeah, possibly the best in terms of technical ability ever to play at this level, which makes it all the more astonishing that he never played in the Premier League. But nonetheless, the problem is he was a bit of a maverick, 
wanting. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he already had previous for not turning up to training sessions before Gategate, you know, says a lot. And Villa probably should have known that he was a bit like that before they spent 12 million on him. You are getting a fantastic player, but you're also taking a risk on someone who, let's be honest, is probably not the most professional footballer that there's ever been. So you are risking it in that sense. And Mm -hmm. this just didn't pay off. But the fact that he basically had six months at Villa and never played another league game for them for £12 million is just... How can that be top, Justin? Yeah, well, £13,000 per minute so roughly in a couple of minutes he earns a, an average house deposit you know if you're trying to <laughs> yeah. buy a house it's just, just astonishing isn't it when you think about it especially at Ch- like when you hear like the likes of Karim Benzema and Lionel Messi and their wages fair enough it's justified they're well it's maybe not justified if you're anti-capitalist but they're earning big money because they're big world-class players, but Ross McCormack's a championship player. To win 13 grand a minute per minute for your time at Villa in the championship is just as reckless as it gets. It is horrendous. You just don't to get... correct you, it was 13 grand that he was costing Villa well, based on costing. wages, transfer fee. But I mean, I haven't, Still, I haven't done the maths, but he would have been earning a fair bit per minute considering how mm-hmm. little he played for Villa. Um so yeah, without a doubt, it had to be number one, didn't it? Because it's just a disastrous transfer, but also a very funny one. Let's finish off, Justin, with a bit of a high. Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Here we go then. So Justin's going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So for example, if he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, just got to mention, didn't he? Um, And I would say Villa, that's one down. And then Newcastle, that's another down. But if I would say Weymouth, then I'd lose a life. All I need to do is give all eight answers without losing all of my lives. Justin, how many lives have I got this week, first of all? I didn't actually consider that, but I'll give you two. This might be tricky. This might be I can afford to get three wrong? Uh, too wrong. I don't too wrong. Shall we say too wrong? Okay. Yes. And what is this week's question? You've got to tell me the eight teams who have recorded the highest average attendances in the championship over the last several years. I've not done it eight years because there's two. There, there are a couple of teams who have done it twice in consecutive years. It's obviously the COVID year as well. So it's going back roughly about thirteen years. So you've got to give me the last eight teams who have recorded the highest average attendances. Does that make sense? Right. Over all that period or just in an individual season? Just in an individual season. So, for example, Weymouth, if they recorded 30,000 and they had the highest attendance in the Championship last season, you would say Weymouth, right? Okay. I don't totally understand the question, but I'll so just go just with teams. Highest, yeah, it's just I'll just go with teams who have, who have good attendances. So, Big first teams. of all, Sunderland. Yes, correct. They got they averaged 38,000 during a 22-23 season last season. Um, Derby County Derby County are on there they averaged 29,000 in the 15-16 and 14-15 season yeah they've uh, always had good attendance since haven't they Derby um, I'll go Leeds shortly they're on there Leeds will always take more so they are on there they yeah. averaged 27,000 during the 19-20 season okay Nottingham Forest I recall having quite a good attendance when they got promoted are you sure? Yeah, I think so. So that was the 
21-22 season, right? Yeah. Okay, right. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to turn you away from it. I'm going to say you're wrong because <clears throat> you are wrong. They oh. did not. They are not on this list at all. Okay then. I'll give you an extra life because this is that was a disaster. That was bad. <laughs> I don't think it was that bad. I mean, you haven't explained the question very well, so I, I, I'm not sure what it's we're just a, basing this on. But I'm just, just trying to name clubs who have had high attendances, highest, highest average attendances. So the average attendances throughout the whole season. And how long are we doing it again for? Well, it's not for a period of time. So, for example, just ever. 20, 2022-23, for example, it's the last eight teams, right? 2022-23. What, we're doing it in championship history? In cham- Well, not championship history. So it's going down to 2011-2012 season because yeah, that's, that's the last that's team. That's all I was asking. Fine, there you go. In that case, I'll say Aston Villa. Correct. They recorded 36,000 in the 18-19 season and 32,000 in the 17-18 season. So you've got three. Yeah, Newcastle will be on there as well then. Correct. 16-17 season, they averaged 51,000. Right. Now it's a bit tricky. Did they make the cut-off? 2011-2012, you say? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say West Ham then. Correct. 30,000. Over how many have got left? One. You've got one, two left. Two. Two left. Two left. Ooh. Now two it's more of a question. Who's dipped into the championship with a big attendance? I don't think... I think Villa, Newcastle, West Ham are the main ones. So... Um, surprise Nottingham Forest isn't on there. I mm. am going to throw, in the interest of saving time, a random club out there. And I will say Sheffield United. Correct. 27,000 in the 21-22 season. That's the season you thought Forest averaged the highest. Hmm. So there's one remaining. There's one remaining. This is a tough one. Surprise me. I've got someone in mind, but I'm not sure how accurate it is. But no one else is springing to mind. So I will say Cardiff City. Incorrect. One life remaining. Oh, I've got one life remaining. I I gave you one because you you, you, you you effed it, basically. Um, I didn't understand the question. Um, Am I missing someone? Is there a really obvious club that I'm missing here? I don't think they're that obvious. It surprised me. It it, it really did surprise me. I can't think of anyone else, but because they've had consistently high attendances for many years now, I'll say Norwich City. Incorrect. Go on, who is it? The team you're looking for were Brighton. Ah, uh, that makes sense, I suppose. Yes, the 12-13 and 13-14 season, they the, they averaged the highest attendances, yeah. 26 and 27,000. Obviously, it was when the Amex was still relatively new, so that might have been the case, but surprised me. I don't know why I just didn't expect Brighton, I don't know why. I largely recall, and this may be completely wrong, but I don't think their attendances were that high, but then they had the new stadium, they signing a load of players they were doing quite well and then suddenly their attendances just blew up yeah. and um, yeah they're, they're, I knew yeah. their attendances were quite high around that time but I just kind of forget they were in the championship they were two playoff campaigns they were so oh were they yeah so that might be yeah they were pushing for promotion because Poirier yeah. and Oscar Garcia if I remember rightly 
Yeah, because they're just like such a good Premier League club now. I just forget that they ever were, yeah. you know, rummaging around with peasants like us. Um, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. I fall and foul at the final hurdle there. But this has been our 10 worst signings in championship history. Is there anyone we've missed out? Let us know by all means. Let us know on Twitter at Second Tier Pod with any suggestions that you may have. Now, in our next two episodes... It's that time of year again. And it's really good news that Leeds United and Sheffield Wednesday have fulfilled their managerial hot seats because it's time for us to rank all the managers in the championship on how much we'd want them in charge of our club. We did it last season, went down like a fart in a lift. So we may as well do it again because it's all good fun, isn't it? So you've got that to look forward to. Part one will be coming out next Thursday. Part two will be coming out on Sunday. So that is your second tier schedule for the coming week, ladies and gentlemen. In the meantime, me and Justin are going to argue over who should be where. So we've got that to look forward to. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Thank you.